from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I can't keep the honest person in their house if I have other people that are cheating. Families are literally, you know, hanging on by a thread to know whether or not, you know, they will be evicted the next day. I've got to tell you that I've got one tenant who we've had an application into the county for two and a half months now, and they keep saying, oh, we're going to pay it, we're going to pay it, and we hear nothing from them. I'm Sarah Fenske. For the last 15 months, evictions have been more or less on hold in St. Louis City and County. That's thanks to moratoriums issued by both federal and local authorities. The orders bar landlords from evicting their tenants during the pandemic unless certain criteria are met. Now that hasn't stopped landlords and their lawyers from filing paperwork to begin the process. A new report from the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council, also known as EHOC, says that more than 5,000 evictions were filed during the pandemic. The report suggests we could see an avalanche of evictions once the moratoriums are lifted. And unless action is taken, that will happen for both city and county residents in just two weeks. The report is titled Stopgap, Eviction Moratoriums and Housing Instability in the St. Louis Area. And joining us today to talk about it is Marissa Cohen. She is an education coordinator with the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council. Marissa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. So, Marissa, get us up to speed on where things stand today. I know the CDC moratorium expires June 20th unless action is taken. And on top of that, the St. Louis City and County are both under these wider ranging moratoriums. Those are set to expire June 30th. If that happens, what will that mean for area residents? Yes. So basically um, what we are seeing right now is people are still getting evictions filed on them and there are judgments that are still able to happen. And so um, in St. Louis City, for instance, they have started executing evictions all the way up until the March, uh, I'm sorry, all the way up until April 17th of 2021. That's currently um, what's being acted upon in terms of evictions, physical evictions. In St. Louis County, there's still the protection of the CDC moratorium. However, once that lifts in June, on June 30th, like you said, um, many more people will be facing evictions. Essentially, um, everything has been somewhat paused because of these eviction moratoriums. And you said in the city they are already executing some of these evictions? Yes. So in the city, um, there was a order, um, an executive order that was released that stated they can execute evictions that were filed on or before um, April 17th of 2021. So from last year all the way up until April 17th of 2021, they are acting on those physical evictions unless people have CDC declaration um, letters to present. If people can show that they, um, you know, they've been affected by this pandemic, they they literally cannot pay rent, those kind of declarations. Right, exactly. So the CDC um, eviction moratorium has specific criteria for renters to uh, essentially um, attest that is true under the penalty of perjury.
perjury, saying that, you know, they make so much income, um, that they have lost a significant amount of income due to COVID, that there is no other way for them to um, avoid becoming homeless, essentially, and that they've at least tried to make some partial payments um, or or, um, arrangements with the landlord in terms of that rent that's due. But what we're finding is that the CDC moratorium is being enforced differently in the city and the county. Hmm. Um, And so that's where some of the challenge lies is the enforcement of that CDC moratorium for people that it applies to. um, There are some extra barriers that they have to kind of walk through um, with enacting that right. And it sounds like from what you're saying, it's been more aggressive in the city. Landlords have been able to move in a way they haven't necessarily in the county. Is that your sense of things? Well, essentially um, in the city, they have have to have filed that declaration with the courts in order to stop an eviction. So the the burden is really on the tenants to show or to stop an eviction action that's being against or that's being made against them. In the county, however, because of a, um, a county council bill that was passed, as mentioned in the report, in the county, the declaration can simply be filed to the sheriff's office um, for faxed to the sheriff's office, I'm sorry, for, for it to be recognized. They don't have to go through a court filing in order to enact that right. Okay. And then, you know, you said the city, they're they're still sort of honoring this because of the CDC. Well, Mm -hmm. that could go away really soon. Do you think we're going to see a lot of people suddenly being hit with this? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we saw over 5,000 evictions being filed already up until January of this year. And so, while eviction moratoria were in place during that time, we still see those eviction filings. And so essentially what we try to outline in this report is that full process, because oftentimes when people hear evictions, they think it's just about that physical eviction piece. But there are so many things that happen before you get to the physical eviction piece. And what we're seeing is that eviction filings are still continuing. No eviction moratoria have uh, have addressed the eviction filings. And so because those are still on record, once eviction moratoria lift, um, essentially they can, you know, landlords can order for writs to be exec- to execute those judgments. And at that point, people would have to leave. They would no longer have a legal right to Absolutely. be in their home. Okay. Well, so this is all. <laughs> there have been a couple times where at the very last minute, these moratoriums have been extended. But if that right. doesn't happen, it, you're predicting an avalanche. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is, you know, part of the challenge is that we have been finding out the day before, the day of. I mean, families are literally, you know, hanging on by a thread to know whether or not, you know, they will be evicted the next day versus knowing in advance and making, you know, arrangements or whatever that may look like for those individual families being impacted. So this is a very complicated situation. All these different jurisdictions, all these different moratoriums. We also wanted to get the landlord's perspective on all this as this is playing out. Mm -hmm. And Nick Kassoff agreed to join us today to share his thoughts. He's a landlord who has some holdings in Ferguson. Nick, welcome. Uh, Thank you for having me. So, Nick, I understand you own 15 single-family homes in Ferguson. Have your tenants been able to make the rent um, during this past year of of being in this pandemic? Well, it's been a great year for for my tenants. Um, A lot of them are essential workers. Others were working at home. So while I've had a few tenants fall behind, overall, my tenants have been able to pay their rent. And... Here in Ferguson, 
working class people are always at the financial edge. So even before the pandemic, we had to work with people to keep them in their homes. And eviction's not good for us either. And we've continued to do so through the pandemic and would have done so regardless of what the government forced us to do. And when you say evictions aren't good for landlords, what, why is that that you've come to that conclusion? Well, most of the time, you're dealing with an honest person who's had a short-term setback. So if your car breaks down and you need a repair, or if you've got a sick kid and can't go to work this week, maybe you can't afford your rent, but you're still a good, reliable tenant who is going to continue paying in the future. And I'm going to give a lot of grace to a person like that. We've also got people out there who move into homes and never intend to pay. And a landlord has to have the legal tools to get rid of those people quickly or the whole system falls apart. I can't keep the honest person in their house if I have other people that are cheating. So what do you do in a situation where these moratoriums are on the book if you have somebody who literally is not willing to pay their rent? Have you have you had to encounter that, Nick? I haven't because I've got good, honest tenants, but I have seen this play out for other people, and the moratorium has been a catastrophe, both uh, both for landlords and, and for the families that rely on that. I can't, I'm a small landlord with a handful of houses and mortgages, and I can't afford to pay somebody else's housing expenses. So... I understand that there's a need during the pandemic to prevent people from being displaced. And the way to solve that problem is for the government to step up and give people the resources they need to afford their housing. They've started to do that, but I've got to tell you that I've got one tenant who we've had an application into the county for two and a half months now, and they keep saying, oh, we're going to pay it, we're going to pay it, and we hear nothing from them. And this is somebody who should qualify for that, that CARES Act assistance. They tell us that they've qualified, they tell us the paperwork's gone through, and we just can't get any answers and Marissa, can't get I'd, any money. I'd love and to bring you in on this, because as, as Nick was saying, you know, these landlords can't float everybody indefinitely. The rental assistance was supposed to help with that. Are you hearing about people who've had similar trouble accessing that money? Yes. Um, some of the rental assistance that is available has had some challenges with actually reaching the people that that are in in need of it and you know in some cases I'm sure this isn't for for um, Nick's case but in some cases it's challenged because of the lack of cooperation by the landlord to even go after those funds or to receive those rental assistance funds um, for those tenants and so Yes, I mean, essentially, that's why one of our calls to action is to continue these eviction moratoriums while they have not fully, you know, um, taken, gotten rid of the problem. They do address one piece of that problem, which is that physical eviction. And if we extend those moratoria until the rental fund, the rental assistance funds have been, you know, depleted, essentially, then hopefully we can balance the, the, the playing field a little bit more for tenants and landlords alike, especially in cases where, you know, like you were saying, Nick, um, that 
the landlords can't even receive the funds even after they've submitted those applications. And so that is one way of looking at it. But there are also um, other state-led sort of uh, rental assistance sources available that landlords can also apply for in this case or forbearance um, that the CDC, or I'm sorry, not the CDC, that... um, MHDC, I believe. So many agencies. (laughs) Yes, MHDC has made available for landlords. um, And also at a federal level, there are sort of um, deferments that are available for people with mortgages that are, you know, relying on that rental assistance or that rental payment. Nick, it it sounds like this is something where you as a landlord, you have had to be proactive, work together with your tenant. Is that how it's worked in trying to get that county funding? The federal funding through the county, apologies. Yeah, that's definitely how it works. And and I've got to say, I don't know a single landlord that wouldn't sit down and spend 20 minutes filling out paperwork to get six months or a year worth of rent paid by the county. I I just can't imagine why anybody wouldn't do that. So... There's tenants out there who don't want to cooperate, and I've heard about that because they're not on the hook for it. But the landlord, he's already paid the mortgage for the last year. He's already paid the taxes and the insurance and the maintenance costs. So we would love to get that money from the county or from the state and, and get some of those back bills paid off. And, and it's Nick, really you, hurting us. And Nick, you don't have any sense what the holdup is with, with these applications. It sounds like people are continuing to say they, this could come through. It just hasn't come through yet. They, You call in and they say, well, it's in the final department for approval for payment. And, hmm. <laughs> you know, vague <laughs> answers that tell you nothing. And... Uh, you just you can't talk to anybody who will give you anything specific. It's very frustrating. Well, Nick, that is so frustrating to hear. And Marissa, I want to bring it back to you on something that Nick mentioned. He said some tenants may not want to do this because they're not technically on the hook. But really, technically, they are on the hook. I mean, these moratoriums are not a get-out-of-rent free card. Right. The way these work, my understanding is that the tenants are still, they have to pay for any months they skip right. once these moratoriums finally get lifted. Right. Are people aware of that, do you think? You know, that's a good question. Um, We work, especially me as an education coordinator, I work to make sure that, you know, the public is aware of the eviction filing still being on your record still can harm your housing choices after um, eviction moratoriums lift. And so, you know, they're not always aware of their rights and as it relates to Missouri landlord tenant law and how, you know, what evictions actually mean. And so that's why we try to outline that with the economic impact even showing that, you know, for someone who has been protected by the CDC moratorium over all of this time, they still may have a huge bill to pay at the end once these eviction moratoriums are lifted. Um, And so to be clear, it's not the case that they're off the hook um, even once eviction moratoriums moratoriums lift. They still have those eviction filings on their record for the amounts that they may owe and pass due rent. And Nick, I'm, well, I'm curious. Yeah, to... but if, judge, if judgments could be spent like money, I could take a month in Europe. No, it, it's it, a paper judgment. It's true. A paper judgment is not worth the paper that is printed on. You right. know, lawyers, lawyers will all agree with that. But technically, they are owed that money. And Nick, I'm curious your perspective as a landlord. If you see that somebody has had one of these actions filed, in court, does that make you less likely to rent to them going forward? 
As an individual landlord, it's a little different. A corporate landlord in most parts of St. Louis isn't going to rent to you if you've got evictions on your record. As an individual landlord, I'm going to make a personal evaluation and a judgment call. Hmm. If you've got a long string of evictions over your entire adult lifetime, no, I'm not going to take a chance on you. If you had an eviction five years ago and you've been clean since then and you've got a reasonably stable employment situation, yes, I'll rent to you then. So, you know, it's kind of like back in the old days when you knew your local banker and you went in to get a loan and your kids went to school together and he he shopped at your hardware store uh, you could get loans and now it's all based on credit scores and numbers so it's harder for people with imperfect credit to get a loan this is the same situation we're in with landlords and the problem with the eviction moratorium is small landlords like me that had a lot of uh, tenants not paying over the last year, they're going to go broke, their houses are going to go into foreclosure, and they're going to get bought up by corporate owners with real estate investment trust funds who aren't going to have the flexibility and the consideration that an individual landlord like myself is able to give to people. And this has been a real nationwide trend that some of these large companies backed by Wall Street are mm-hmm. getting into the business that historically was more mom and pop landlords. And Marissa, I think that's really interesting in the context of your report. You guys Mm -hmm. looked at who has been making these eviction filings, even as they're kind of on pause. It sounds like there's some guys who aren't necessarily the mom and pops that are leading the way in moving forward with some of these evictions. Tell us what you found and and who's being filed against. Yes. So um, so basically what we show is some of our top bulk filers um, were attorneys like Matthew Chase and others that they're filing on behalf of some of these larger corporate companies. And so one of the um, landlord bulk filers that we have on here is um, Sansone Group, for instance, that have filed 273 from March of last year until January 31st of 2021. And so we can only imagine that those numbers are have increased since all of the eviction moratorium sort of changes have been taking place sort of step by step. And when we see that, basically, who's being impacted, we're finding um, this disproportionate impact on communities of color and single-family households, uh, I'm sorry, single-female-led households with children especially. And so these are protected classes under the Fair Housing Act that prohibits housing discrimination um, against protected classes, people who belong within a protected class, such as race, color, national origin, religion, sex, um, familial status, which is families with children 18 years or under, um, and then also people with disabilities. So that's who we have been seeing um, get you know, have the largest impact of this eviction crisis. And that's why we say that the eviction crisis is a fair housing crisis as well. And so that when we see these things can can be totally served and families will be kicked out, you think it's going to be a lot of single moms with kids based on the stats you see. Exactly. Well, this is such a frustrating situation here. And I understand that these have been extended at the last minute before. As you said, that's been hard for people, but it could happen again. Nick, in the meantime, it sounds like you're just saying you'd like to see landlords made good, some of this funding to be released. 
if the government steps up to the plate, gets these uh, programs going, and starts getting the checks in the hands of the landlord, the eviction problem vanishes. We don't want to throw anybody out, but we can't afford to give housing away for free. Well, Nick Kassoff, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And Marissa Cohen, uh, one last thought you wanted to leave us with. Yes, just, you know, there there is, while the eviction moratorium will prevent the physical evictions, there is still the issue of those eviction filings. And there are cases where if a landlord sees those judgments, like on things like CaseNet, for instance, that that can still be a barrier to accessing quality and affordable housing for individuals. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for sharing and and for this report. We have that linked on our website. That's stlpr.org. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.